He says, Jesus said, if a Roman soldier comes up and asks you to carry his stuff, and people are like, yeah, what should we do, Jesus? Should we kick him? Should we hit him? Should we throw some God magic at him? Because I think they were still trying to figure out what Jesus was. What should we do to the Roman soldier who comes to us and says, carry my bag, citizen, one mile? And Jesus says, here's what you should do. You should carry it, too. And people were like, man, I'm stopping following that guy. He's not trying to make my life better. He's trying to make it worse. Until... amongst that big group of people, a smaller group of people started doing what he said. They started actually living the way he talked about. They started actually doing the things he said. Somebody would say to him, hey Jesus, what should we do when somebody slaps us in the face? Jesus said, turn the other side. You've heard that, turn the other cheek. People start saying, well that's just stupid. What am am I, a big, you know, am I I just going to let myself be bullied the rest of my life? Jesus said, just try it. Just try it. In your life, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, somebody says something to you or does something to you, and rather than retaliating, try this. Try not putting all your stock in what they say and what they do. Try just for a second finding your worth outside of their comments, finding your worth outside of their actions. Just try it. And a whole bunch of people said, ain't no way, and they walked away. But a small group of people in the bigger group, said, my life is so bad that I'll try anything. And that sounds just crazy enough that I might just try it. And as people started trying to live the way this little baby who grew up into a man started talking about, they realized there's something to what this man says. It brings me a different kind of peace in my life. It brings me a different kind of joy. And they began, when they started realizing that they don't have to worry about loss in their life, that they can think about their life and their worth outside of what the money that they have and the things that they have and the way that people think about them, they began to be a group of people who didn't have fear. Once upon a time, Jesus then was betrayed by a friend. If you know the story, you know how that led to some pretty awful things in his life. He was betrayed by a friend. He was condemned by the temple, which was the church at the time. So you like to think of Jesus, if you're outside of of Jesus followers, you probably think of Jesus as a religious person. But Jesus was like the opposite of religion at the time. The religious institution kicked Jesus out of religion. They said, this is not a religious man. And then Jesus would say things like this, yeah, you're right. I don't want anything to do with religion. And by the way, God doesn't either. What I want is real life. So religious, religion in the temple condemned Jesus. And then he was crucified. He grew up watching people crucified. He grew up seeing men with their arms spread on a cross for days, hearing their cries, smelling the smells, until finally he would be crucified by an empire. And then he would die on that cross. He would be buried in a tomb. He would raise again and eat breakfast with those small group of people who said, I want to live the way he talked about. And those men began to change the world. To this day, people still worship Jesus, partially because of those small group of people who took Jesus at his word and lived the way he intended for them to live. So once upon a time, the church began. And as the church grew and these small group of people began to get the word out about who Jesus really was. They became betrayed by their friends. 
they started gathering in small groups of people. So if you can imagine how, how this group started after Jesus died and then went back up to heaven, he left this group of people. Actually, what he said was he looked at all of these, peop- these small group of people that were following. There were about 200 probably, we think, around Jesus. They were up on a mountain, and this is after he had died and come back from the de- dead. And people were talking about it everywhere. I watched him die, and now he's eating breakfast with me. And this was all over. This wasn't just a small group of people that saw this. People that had said, no, this isn't true, saw Jesus and went back and said, it must be true. In fact, not only is the resurrection true, but everything he said, because if a dude can tell me that he is going to die and raise from the dead and then pull it off, I believe everything he says, and you should too. So as, as he's sitting on the mountain with this group of people, he says to them, so here's what I want you to do, guys. I want you to go, and I want you to tell everybody about my resurrection. I don't want you to start with, because the Bible says, because that doesn't resonate with people. In fact, there wasn't really much of a Bible then anyway. There was an Old Testament, and nobody even could read it. He said, don't start with what the Bible says. Start with the fact that a man predicted his own death and resurrection, and he pulled it off. And what he said, and the way he told you to live your life, is a better way to live. It's a better way to peace and hope and joy. He said, I want you to take that, and I want you to spread it all over the world. And they're like, hang on, Jesus, I got a question. World? What do you mean world? I can walk like three miles, you know? I can maybe get 20 if I work really hard. Jesus is like, got to work that out, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to spread it all out, and I know it sounds like a big deal, but I will be with you always. And they go, whew. And then here's what Jesus did. He left them. (laughs) He went up into heaven, and they realized that what Jesus meant by I will be with you always is I will be with you in a different kind of a way. I will send my spirit with you, and I will go where you go. And then this group of people started spreading Jesus' words and his thoughts. And and it was all centered not on what the Bible says, not on the Ten Commandments. It wasn't centered on religious activities. It wasn't about rules. The heart of their story was a man died, was buried, and rose again. And that got people's attention. And this group of people, next slide there, Tanya. This group of people began to gather in small groups. This is why we're doing our Wednesday night thing here. We're gathering in small groups because they didn't do what we're doing this morning. They didn't get in rows and listen to a preacher and sing songs like that. What they did was they would would get together and they they may sing a song, but they would be in a circle and there would be a small group of them. And they were in these small groups that would, would do life together and they didn't need anything because they shared everything. They gathered at the first day of the week. And the weird thing about them was they didn't gather in religious groups the way the rest of the world gathered. They didn't all look the same, talk the same, act the same. There were men and women in the same group, which didn't happen in this culture. And men and women were equal. There were Greeks and Jews, which didn't happen in the same group. And Greeks and Jews were equal. There were masters and slaves. Slavery was still a problem in the world at that point. God was moving them towards a better way of life that we now know slavery is not the way God wants us to live our lives. But at that point, slavery was still in the hearts of humans. And even those masters and slaves came together, and while they were together, they were equals. This was something the world had never seen before. They would hear words and letters from the church and from church leaders. But, once upon a time, just like Jesus, and just like Jesus told them, they too would be betrayed by friends. They would be condemned by the temple. 
the religious institutions would say, you aren't God people. You, in fact, you're not even religious. And the Christians, or they called themselves the followers of the way. They wouldn't be called Christians until many, many years later. The followers of the way would stand up and say, yes, please get the word out. We are not religious. <laughs> but they were condemned by the temple and they were persecuted. Some of them crucified. Some of them stoned. Some of them flogged to death. And then there's this crazy thing that happened where their influence, their thoughts, the way they lived their life spread throughout the known world like an airborne virus. <laughs> like just this thing that was contagious and if you got too close to it, you would get it. Because it was people were so desperate for this kind of life that just being around a Christian or a Jesus follower would change you. Now, throughout history since then, there have been one group of people, one generation of people after another, who have continued that, and now, New Life Christian Church, Paragon, Indiana, sitting in an orange pew today, it's your turn. Now it's our turn. Someday, our version of Christianity will be a once-upon-a-time story. Someday, somebody will sit on a stool on a stage a hundred years from now and say, once upon a time in in Indiana, once upon a time in America, politics got really confusing. Once upon a time in America, it started feeling like terrorism was going to win. Once upon a time in America, it started feeling like nobody would ever be able to agree on whether or not health care should be provided, on whether or not the minimum wage should be higher or lower. It started feeling like this was not going to end well. But, there were a group of Jesus followers who lived differently. They trusted something different. They lived as though they didn't fear terror the way the rest of the world feared it. They lived as though, even though politics mattered and was important, there was something else in charge. And there was something bigger. Or, the story sounds different. Once upon a time, there was a group of people that said they were Christians, that they were just religious. And as the country began to fall, they just began to panic. It was obvious that even though they said they trusted God and that he was in charge, they didn't believe it because as things got worse, they began to say really, really stupid things about each other and about people who didn't agree with them on Facebook. They began to feel like they were better than the world. And instead of, in that moment, instead of the way Christians used to be when things got bad, instead of the world leaning into them, the world leaned away from them because they were abrasive. And they didn't feel anything like Jesus felt when he was here. See, church, if you're visiting with us today, I know this sounds deep. I promise next week we lighten up a little bit. But you need to hear this. If you're visiting with us and you're not a church member, you're not a member of this church or you're not a Christian yet, you're off the hook for a minute, okay? I'm just going to talk to our church people right here at the church. You need to hear this for a second. We don't go to church. We are the church. We don't attend on Sunday mornings. We are a representative of faith and Jesus to this generation every breath we take in or outside of this building. 
And we are stewards of the faith for this generation. So every Facebook post you make, every comment that you make with your kids present about the end of the world because the wrong person's going to be sitting in the White House, the, the next comment you make about terrorism and about ISIS controlling the fear in your life and about stocking up ammunition and guns because you've got to protect yourself. The next comment you make that makes it sound like, yes, I know we sing about God protecting us, but we, when it comes down to it, we believe my gun protects me. Now, I'm not making a comment today about guns, okay? I'm making a comment today about faith. That what God wants from us is to take him at his word. If you're not a Christian today, if you're kicking the tires on this thing, please don't engage in the junk that you see in the name of Jesus right now. Don't engage. Please do not slowly eke your way into a religious system that speaks about faith, that speaks about trust in God, but when things get hard, they panic, they worry, they load up, they hole up, they quit being in the world, and they start gathering themselves and their resources and their ammunition to protect them own. Please don't engage in that because that is not the message of Jesus. And it is not the direction of this body of believers in the midst of a hard time in America. I guess I should preach now. Yeah, I hadn't started yet. Um, I want to set up this story I'm about to tell you. This is what we do around here. I hate going to the Bible and not telling you why I'm telling you about this story. Don't ever listen to somebody just start grabbing things out of the Bible because you can take, just like any book, you can take anything you want and make it say anything you want. So I want to give you context and I want to give you all the reasons you should understand what we're about to talk about. And then I want you to go, I don't know, John, and go home and figure it out for yourself and read it. You can find Google. You can just Google up whatever you want and learn more about this. But here's what I've studied this week to talk to you about when it relates to fear as we close out this series. It's a story that begins about two months after the resurrection of Jesus. This story begins right, so Jesus has, has died, he has been buried, he laid there for three days, and hundreds of people saw him ri risen again, and especially a small group of people ate breakfast with him on the shoreline. It was like fish and right on the water, and it was awesome. And they got to eat breakfast with him, and it changed the way they talked about him. And so this story we're about to talk about this morning is two months. I want you to keep that in your mind. It's that fresh. It's two months after Jesus resurrection the person who wrote this story was an eyewitness he wasn't it wasn't handed down from dad to granddad to, all the way down up into to uh to a story that began written down this was a, a a man who watched it he was an eyewitness of this account and it involves two men peter and john it involves a few more than that but the stars of the story are two men one's named peter one's named john and they're on the way to the temple and if you remember as we started this thing the once upon a time in this was that the temple didn't like these guys right the temple was the religious place that didn't like the christians they didn't like the jesus people and they called themselves followers of the way so john and peter are are two of the guys that ate ate breakfast with jesus after he had died they thought it's over they, they both said, we have messed up. We shouldn't have followed this guy. He died. Three days later, they went, um, check that. <laughs> he rose from the dead, and they ate breakfast with him. And now they're going to the temple to worship. Now they know they can worship anywhere now. 
Jesus has broken down the wall between people and God. And they can worship anyway, but they go to the temple to worship. And as they do, they walk up the stairs. They walk up the stairs of this temple. Now, the temple is somewhere around 30 acres, something like that, maybe mid-30s of acres. This whole huge place of a building and lots of rooms and lots of religious activities going on. And as they walk up the stairs to the temple, there's a man who has basically lived on the stairs his entire life, and he's been lame. The Bible says lame. The, The original language reads something like his legs didn't work from birth. So this is not a man who was in an accident and he, you know, he might heal up later. This is a man whose legs had never worked his entire life. Uh, historians say he probably was in his mid-30s, maybe 40 years old. And as he walks up to them, he doesn't ask them for much. He just says, would you give me some money? I need money. And that's what he was. He was a beggar. You see this every day. In fact, as it gets warmer, you'll see more cardboard signs in Bloomington and Martinsville. That's what they saw. And this was a man that people walked by over and over and over, and they would say things like this. They would say, and this is awful, they would say things like this. Why didn't you just go get a job? Yeah. And in this awful, they would also say things like this. The people who walked by him, they would say things like, um, he's probably just going to use the money to go buy booze. Yeah, I know, it's awful. We've grown a lot from that since. But they would do that at that point, right? And he, they walked up the stairs, and they saw this man who was begging, and he said, I, I need money. And they said, And if you grew up in Sunday school, it sounded like this. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. Remember that? In the name of Jesus Christ. So he looks at this guy and he says, I don't have any money. Peter and John, we don't have any money. And the beggar goes, all right, I hear that all the time. You know how that goes. You say the same thing. Hey, man, I'm sorry, I don't carry cash. You say that when you walk down the street, right? I'm sorry, I don't even have any change on me. Sorry, dude. (laughs) Someday they're going to start carrying, like, debit card readers you know <laughs> yeah square and but if you know i don't have I, he kind of did that i don't have any money and and the beggar thought all right i hear that all the time and peter said but wait i have something better and peter and john looked down at this man religious people all over the place coming in and out of the temple they looked down at this man and they said brother get up and walk And he stood up on the stairs, and he walked. Now, this is from a man who was standing watching when it happened. And as as he walks, he begins to, to not know what to do. I mean, if you've been lame your entire life, if you've been completely no use of your legs, no wheelchair, no way to get around, just have to lay on the stairs and hope somebody gives you food and money, and all of a sudden you can walk, what do you do? Where do you go? The, the, the impl- implications of this is that he didn't know what to do. He didn't know where to go. So you know what he did? He just followed him. <laughs> like, hey, you just, you just fixed me. And Peter and John have been seeing this for so long. They're like, yeah, man, it's, it's part of following God right now. This is just how it goes. And it's crazy. And whoa. But yeah, see you later. <laughs> They're like, the guy's going, no. And he keeps following through the temple. And that's important for you to know. So next slide. All right. We're getting right into this. This is Acts chapter 4. This is the book of Acts. Now, this is in the Bible, and if you're, if you're new to the Bible or you're new to, to the church thing, the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles, the, the people that were that tight group of people I told you about who were close to Jesus, then thought they'd made a mistake by listening to him, and then he raised from the grave. They had breakfast together, and then they started making church. They started making the message happen. And the book of Acts is about how that started. Right after Jesus died and rose from the grave, how the church started. And in Acts chapter 4, it starts this way. 
salvation. So here's what happens. Peter and John walk into the temple. And as they go into the temple, this lame man, this man who had never walked in his life, is following them around. And the people that go to the temple regularly, people that are in that community go, hey, isn't that Jim? (laughs) Wait a minute, Jim, the guy who's been laying on the stairs for 35 years? Yeah, Jim. That can't be Jim. He's walking with those two guys. Yeah, I think that's Jim. Why is he walking? They go, hey, Jim, why are you walking? They just healed me. And pretty soon, a big group of people start gathering around Peter and John. And as they gather, Peter and John start preaching Jesus. They start telling not about rules. They're not preaching the Ten Commandments. They're not talking about the Bible. What they're doing is saying the resurrection is real. Jesus died and rose from the grave. And so when he rose from the grave, it validated all the things he said to us. All the things he told us, it made sense. And we've been living him, and it changed our lives. And we've got these little groups of people, and you should join our little groups of people. And the people in the temple are going, man, the people who run this temple, if they heard you, boy, would you be in trouble. And all of a sudden, the people who run the temple heard. And the big group came up to Peter and John. Now, here's, here's another thing you should know. Jesus, two months ago, was crucified by this group of people. In this place, this group of people are the people who got Jesus crucified. And now Peter and John are standing before them. If I was Peter and John and they came to me and said, hey, what are you talking about this Jesus for? I'd go, "Uh, Jesus who? I'm afraid I'd be that guy. I'm working on that. But Peter and John didn't. Peter looks at these men who believe that salvation is found in Rome. And that God has something to do with that. Peter looks up. Says, salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to a man, given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now if you're here and you're not a Christian, if you're listening online and you're not a Christian, this statement is why you don't like church and why you don't like Christians. Because it's so narrow There's only one way to get to heaven. What about all the other religions? How do you know you're the way? Now, let's give Peter and John some slack here. They they just ate breakfast with the man who said he was the way and had died. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. These aren't smart men who just are really good orators and have got a following. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. In the midst of things being hard right now, wouldn't it just be great if people recognized you as somebody who is obviously living different? Not not in a bad way, but just in a different way. This is what happened with Peter and John. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there, <laughs> this big group of people say, well, something's working. These guys just healed this man. This man was standing there with them. They couldn't say anything. The crowd pressured them into letting Peter and John go. Otherwise, they'd have been crucified or at least tried and thrown in jail. Next slide. Keeps going. On their release, because the leaders then in the temple said, just get out of here. Get out of here and don't talk about Jesus anymore. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. They went back to these small groups of Christians, Jesus followers, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer and said, God, please give me more ammunition and more guns so I can protect myself. You think that's what they said? You think they said, 
God, I'm so scared about being injured and my, I, my arm hurts because I kind of got, one of them pinched me a little bit on the way out. Man, look at their prayers. This is the group of people who changed the world the first time. This group of people, this is the first recorded prayer service, by the way, in history. This group of people says, Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, this sermon isn't on prayer today, but let me tell you this. If your prayer life is about the little minutiae in your life, the little things that hurt a little bit, and nothing seems to be happening, Maybe the reason little happens when we pray is because we pray for such little things. God takes care of the little things when we think like he does on the big things. They start with not the, God, would you help us with these things? They start with, God, you're in charge of everything. Next slide. They continue to pray. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David, our father David. This is from from Psalms. They say, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up. They're quoting scripture back to God. That's got to be cool to God. And the rules band together against the, the Lord and against his anointed one. Boy, you could say that about our culture now, couldn't you? Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? Why do we vote in a primary and then we have this like caucus and then we do this other thing, and then we end up having to vote for somebody we would have never voted for in the first place, just pick the worst of the best of the best of the worst, and then it just feels like we're plotting in vain, like it doesn't work. You're saying that right now. I know it. I've heard it. It's all over the news. It's all, it, this is not new. This is something that's happened for thousands and thousands of years. The people think they know what's best, but in the long run, what they're saying is, God, we know you're in charge. Next slide. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate. Remember those two names, if you remember Jesus' life? These are the people who crucified Jesus. They met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servants, Peter and John and Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will have decided beforehand. What if, what if Christian Americans right now were to pray like this? God. You're in charge. You're in charge. And I know the person you're putting in the White House, you voted for him. You put him there. Would that change your heart a little bit? Would that change what you post on Facebook? Would that change how you talk about politics around your table and around your kids? Next slide. Here's how they prayed. All that boils down to this. God, none of this took you by surprise. God, you weren't surprised by how crazy the candidates are. God, you weren't surprised that the buildings came down in New York. God, you weren't surprised that ISIS is getting bigger. God, you weren't surprised by any of this. So we aren't afraid. We trust you. That was their prayer. Next slide, Tanya. They continue. Now, Lord, in light of all that, we're not going to be scared, but in light of that, we've got some requests. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word. <laughs> Look at this. Not, God, we know you're in charge. 
and we're not scared, but would you protect us? Would you keep us from harm? That's not what they're praying. And I'm not saying there's something wrong with that. But they have a bigger picture than that. They say this, would you allow us to speak your word with boldness? To do your things. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, after they had prayed like this, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And I don't know if physically or emotionally or whatever, we felt shaken around here. Not physically. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And look at this, last line there. I'm almost done here. Last line. And they spoke the word of God boldly. Now, hang on. Wake up. Give me just a second before you go. Told you I can say what is on my mind. Yes. But let me qualify what speaking the word of God boldly is. It's not this. In fact, there is a, a few pieces of Scripture that say that those who speak on behalf of God and miss it have a different kind of judgment coming. This is not speaking boldly. This is speaking stupidly. This is speaking not constructively. Yelling at people, calling people names, saying on behalf of God that people are a certain thing is counterproductive and not speaking boldly when this group of people spoke boldly when when this group of people speaks boldly they push people away you know you know how to know if you're speaking the kind of boldly that god wants you to as a christian people lean in and not lean away now that doesn't mean they agree with everything you say that doesn't mean that they they don't have some pushback but they want to know they want to hear because when you speak god's truth boldly the way he speaks it and the important things that he says people want to lean in if they lean away you've missed the point you christians in this church i'm speaking just to the christians here for a second you need to know this And if you're not a christian i know what you're doing you're going yes say that that's what i want to hear because that's that's why i hate church if you're a christian and you're in this place if you are listening on this place you need to know this that your job is not to keep god's rules Your job is not to speak on behalf of God when it comes to God's rules and God's laws. That is not your job. Your job is to love so differently, to live so differently, that when times get hard, when people get frustrated, when fear seems to be the overarching principle in life, people lean towards you. That's the way this group of people spoke and acted. And their prayer was not, God protect me. It was help me speak the things that make the world around me lean in. All the believers were in one heart. This is, this is my prayer for this church. I would like to just like put this in great big letters somewhere. All the believers were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They didn't testify to the fact that should gays be married or should they not. They didn't testify to Democrats or Republicans. They didn't testify to which laws should be instated and which shouldn't. Who should be getting money from our government and who shouldn't. That's not the job of the Christians. The job of the Christians was to testify of one thing, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how it changes you your living life and when you die you get to go somewhere that you couldn't imagine when they did that it changed the world 
what will our once upon a time be? I'm going to challenge those of you who are older Christians. You've retired from church. Come on Sundays, but you know, you're just retired. That you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility right now to the next generation. To be a steward of this faith that God has entrusted us with. Will we cause people to lean in or lean away from God? And it all has to do with how we deal with fear. These people who dealt with fear on a daily basis. The truth is the fear that we're dealing with right now, none of us have shed blood because we're Jesus followers. Uh, Maybe you got cut at the mall serving last week, but that's different, right? These people were stoned, they were threatened, their children were taken from them, and they still stood up in the face of fear and said, God, none of this surprises you, and we trust you. Band, you guys can come up, we're almost done. I want to end this whole series with this piece of scripture, which I dug into last week. If this confuses you, jump back into last week's sermon. The writer of Hebrews, who we aren't really sure if this was a woman or a man or if this was a Greek or a Jew, we don't know really who wrote this for sure, says this. It's one of the most amazing pieces of scripture. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that is, there are a group of people that have come before us that have kept the faith moving, that have kept people leaning into them. Since we have all these people that have come before us, let us throw off everything that hinders. Are you hindered today? Somehow this group of people was able to speak on behalf of God and not be judgmental. Somehow this group of people weren't hindered by wanting to be right before they wanted to be Christ-like. What hinders you today? Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You know what that is, the race? It's your turn to have a once upon a time story. This is your race right now. Will you just be religious? Will you choose in this moment of fear, in this moment of everything being in turmoil in America, to just be another voice that is judgmental and harsh and hard? Or will you, as the writer says, fix your eyes on Jesus? Stop fixing your eyes on the political race. It's important, but it's not the most important. Stop fixing your eyes on terrorism. Stop fixing your eyes on things that are only protecting you and are only good for you. Start fixing your eyes on Jesus, and when that happens, it changes everything. He is the pioneer. He's the beginning of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. The idea of shame was that he had known it was coming, and he had seen what the crucifixion was like, and he took it on your behalf. And then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and he's watching and he's loving. And he wants to do life with you right now. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you, listen to me, into this ser- series, look up here for a second, you will not grow weary or lose heart. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, do not walk out of this room Weary or with a loss of heart? You don't have to. 
today. Don't lose heart. You know what lose heart means? It means give up. Here's what I've heard a lot of Christians say. I don't even care about America anymore. Don't even care about politics. I don't even care about what's coming next. I don't even care about... You start a sentence with, I don't care, you've lost heart. You've lost heart if you started protecting yourself at all costs instead of looking outside of yourself. Did you know that uncertainty is a certain in life? You are going to have uncertainty. You're not going to get around it. But fear is an option. You don't have to be afraid. Would you, and this is just for those of you who are here at New Life, would you choose to speak boldly with selflessness? Would you choose to look into a community, into a world that is so desperate it's afraid? And it caused people to lean in by the way you live. Would you run your race? Once upon a time, there was a church in a cornfield. Barely kept its doors open at times because 10% of nothing is still pretty low. And our people just don't have much money. Many didn't give. Some did. Once upon a time, this this church looked like it wasn't going to last because doors couldn't stay open financially and there wasn't much momentum. But then things got really bad in the world and in America. And when things got bad in America, these people got better. Once upon a time is right now and you choose you're a Christian and you're in this place today, I'm hoping God speaks into your life about how you talk, how you think, how you feel about Him right now. If not today, this is a good opportunity for you to get an idea of what it was and what it has always been to follow Jesus. I'll give you a chance today. If today's your day, come right down here in front. I'm going to be back in the back today and we've got lots of exciting things still in our service, so I'm going to let you stand up and sing this song right to God this morning.